Hi, everybody. It's Ron Tite. I'm the founder and chief creative officer of Church and State. Ron, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So listen, first off, congrats, Church and State, uh, 10 years old. Yeah, uh, we're coming up to it. Uh, coming up to it? Think, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. I think in January we'll officially be 10. Oh, wonderful. Well, happy birthday. Congratulations on that. Um, many places, I, I guess there's not many places uh, these days uh, that are exactly the same uh, as they were 10 years ago, not to mention two years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. So I'm I'm really curious, um, how how did the pandemic change the way church and state is operated? Has there been much change? What do you mean? What happened? Something happened? Did something happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing too huge. I mean, we we've grown significantly. Uh, probably our biggest amount of growth uh, over year over year happened during the pandemic. Um, so that change. So there's just been that kind of influx of stuff. There's been a change around talent and kind of the fight for talent in terms of we as because we've grown and trying to get new people. So that has changed. And so that and even when you do that, like growth, organic growth uh, means now you need new people with slightly different roles. And so we've seen that we've had to bring in, um, you know, some roles that really allowed the growth to be scaled even more. Cause we just, you know, you hit that point when you're a smallish organization where, you know, people do multiple jobs and they wear different hats and then you get bigger and you're like, oh, maybe we need a director of operations. And, you know, so we just need, because if you growth without the ability to uh, strengthen the operations of an organization is useless because it's, it's just gonna, you know, you're just gonna end up um, driving people insane and you're just going to end up losing people and losing clients and you'll just have a massive amount of churn. So we've kind of just like doubled down on like, let's just improve the operations and let's just build and improve the operations so that even more growth can come at, can come at scale. But otherwise, you know, our team has been absolutely incredible. Um, we've deployed everybody virtually really, really quickly. We quickly changed offices uh, or not quickly. We, we waited and just over the last little bit, we've changed offices so that our new space could more meet the needs of this new reality. Um, and then otherwise, you know, um, yeah, we, we've, uh, you know, got more, you know, our clients are Walmart and DoorDash and Centennial College and, um, you know, Granger and, you know, Canada Health Infoway, like all businesses that have been fundamentally changed mm -hmm. because of the, the implications on their customer base. So we've just kind of changed with our clients. Nice, nice. You recently wrote, uh, I believe on LinkedIn, about the last 8%. Now, I know it's not your, um, your idea that you've come up with, uh, but you talked how it was important, how you felt it was important for, for business leaders mm -hmm. uh, on how to deal with you know, their own uh, last eight situation. I'm wondering if you can, uh, if you can share, you know, what is the last eight percent and why is it important? Yeah. So first of all, this was something. This is something that JP Palu Fry, who's a good friend, and I sit on uh, his, the board of his organization. And uh, JP is a great speaker and um, uh, you know New York Times bestselling author and all that. He's just a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, the PhD, and you know, it was JP's. Uh, what kind of work that highlighted that most leaders 
will have conversations with their team or with their clients or with their colleagues, you know, that are the kind of the first 92%. And my, the way I would describe those is like, those are the easy conversations, the inspiring conversations, the informative conversations, all that. But that where real growth comes from, both as the leader who's delivering a message, as well as the person that you're delivering that message to, it's in that last 8%. And it's the last 8%, which is the uncomfortable stuff. It's the last 8% that are the difficult conversations. And I had to do a huge amount of work in that because you often think like, oh, leaders are just like, let's rally around people and it's giving hugs to people and, you know, all those. And yes, it is all of that. But at the same time, the real leaders are the ones who can have those difficult conversations. Now, I remember I got to interview a guy named Jack Welch and Jack was voted CEO of the century, former CEO of GE. And um, so I got to interview Jack on stage in, at the Art of Leadership. And um, I remember my very first question to him, other than this weird random mentor question, but <laughs> the first question I had planned was, your nickname is Neutron Jack because you're famous for firing the bottom 10% every year. That can't make you feel good. That can't be, you cannot as a human being sit here and tell me, that if your legacy is Neutron Jack, that that fills your, your heart with warmth. And what do you think of that? And, and he was like, ah, I don't care about it. But, and then, and I, and to be honest, Kareem, I wanted to hate him. I wanted to hate him oh. because that was my perception of him. Was that, and I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. Who's just like all about shareholder value and didn't care about his people and all that. And it was such a great learning opportunity for me because he said, look, Yes, I did let go a lot of the people who weren't performing, but none of those people were ever surprised that they were being let go. The real immoral behavior is not letting somebody go. The real immoral behavior is not having challenging conversations with people and dealing with complete candor, because if your boss comes to you and says, sorry, you got to lose, you know, X percent of your budget or you need to fire two people and you go to Tom and Mary and you go, I got to let you go. And they don't know that they're the bottom two performers. They don't know that if someone's going to let go, it's going to be them. That's immoral because they have children and they have mortgages and everything else. And so nobody was ever surprised. So it's not about letting somebody go at the end of the year. It's having those really difficult conversations throughout the year so that when it does happen, it doesn't come at them. And that was the first time that I'd thought of that. And it was a huge leap of learning. And then JP's last 8%, I think, and he's got, he's got a whole, you know, um, a, a training session and assessment. He's got a, you know, a full program that, that people can take for it. Well, that's, that's a great learning experience for sure. Um, you know, speaking of, of the art of leadership, I, I think that's when I became first aware of you you know, being the host of the art of events, art of leadership, art of marketing, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and recently, one of uh, the people that you had an opportunity uh, to share the stage with, uh, the late Secretary of State, Colin Powell, um, you know, he recently passed away. I'm curious if uh, you know, there's been a lot written about him uh, just recently. Uh, a lot of people have spoken about him. I'm curious, you know, similar to your story about Jack Welch, um, any lessons that you hold on to uh, from your time with him on stage? Yeah, there was, you know, we did, I think, I think we did three gigs in a row. 
Um, and so I got to see him three times and kind of hang out with him a little bit backstage, but you know, you've got people, he's got people surrounding him and everything. So it's not like, not like I'm texting, you know, I was texting him, uh, up until he, because he passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think, you know, it was kind of the opposite of Jack Welch, you know, Jack, who I wanted to hate, but I had learned a ton. I was like, wow, this guy actually, okay. I, I buy it now. And, and Colin Powell was kind of the opposite, you know, where not that I ever hated him, but, um, you know, he came in being this, you know, famous person. He was somebody that as a Republican, I maybe didn't, you know, naturally go to, but I always saw him as like the one Republican I would conceivably vote for if he ever ran. And, and maybe that was because he, you know, superficially, I'm like, oh, a black guy in the, in the Republican party, which is not something you see every day. And maybe that was this point of like, difference for for him um but i i you know he certainly i think has a complicated legacy because of what down what went down with uh with the war in iraq and you know kind of uncovering the um uh weapons of mass destruction and all that and so it was really just like well who is the man and i think the lesson there is well he was a guy who was in military you know he was raised in military and what you what do you do in the military you fall in line when a general says this is the way you don't question it you fall in line and you support the general otherwise everything breaks breaks down and so people saying like why didn't he question George Bush and and you know Dick Rumsfeld and you know Dick Cheney and whatnot he was a military guy you fall in line you follow the order so he did what was expected of him um, but when you balance that out with like the whistleblower mentality of like he could have saved a lot of lives had he done something and said something. And that makes it a complicated legacy, I think. Um, the other thing kind of this is, you know, not as significant, but that as a speaker, you really begin to learn he was a really compelling speaker. But part of the reason he was a compelling speaker was because of his fame. and. Um, you know, um, uh, um, th that speakers want to, you know, Andrew Davis, who's a great speaker and good friend, he has a fame. If you're a speaker and you want to kind of drive your revenue, it's about four things called fame, fame being the F. And so you and I could share what it was like when we quit a job and have incredible insight and great performance about that. That's not going to be anywhere close to Colin Powell saying, what is it like when he got fired? Because it's just on a completely different level and people want, they're really, uh, I think, intrigued by having the backstage pass to know what was going down in the White House and whatnot. And those, they're just on a completely different level. They're the exact same stories with different players, yeah. but they're exact same stories. They're just delivered on a whole other different level. I hear you, I hear you. Let's talk about brands. People are going to get mad if I don't ask you about this or sure. get your thoughts on, uh, on on this new social media company. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Meta. <laughs> um, what are your what are your thoughts on what Facebook has has recently announced? Well, Meta means dead in Hebrew. I know I know that now. Okay. Um, but um, and and by the way, like if you ever like. Say twenty years ago, if we were to say, "Look, there's going to be an evil human being," we always got like, "Doesn't Zuckerberg look like?" Oh, that's the guy that we would probably create, right? <laughs> like the weird haircut and the blank stare and the like, all that. Like he's kind of in that zone. You know, I think rebrands are, I think, are something that are really important. And I know in our notes back and forth, you had kind of mentioned six eighty news. 
which may seem completely ridiculous to compare those two, but let's. <laughs> okay, so 680 News rebrand, where people are going, why would you rebrand this thing? It's a really famous brand, certainly within the Toronto market, um, known for news. Why would you ever rebrand that? Well, look, for a brand to succeed, a brand needs to diversify its portfolio. And especially in the media space, if you're known as a radio brand, um, how you grow that is to become more than a radio brand, where you now become a TV brand and you now become a newspaper brand. And, and, you know, this is the problem with media. Great brands need to become media properties and media properties need to think like great brands. And great brands go, you leverage the brand into new SKUs, new products, new portfolios. So if you buy 680 News and you're Rogers and you have City News as your brand in, all other, in a whole bunch of other places, you now need to extend that brand into radio. You didn't extend 680 into TV and everything else. So now you have an ownership group that has a diverse portfolio of services and products that all ladder up to the same purpose, informing Canadians and real-time news. That's got to share the same brand. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. So 680 need to fall in line and go, okay, we're part of something bigger. The brand is now going to be associated with that. So they rebranded after, they rebranded so that the brand would meet the activities that took place in the products that lived under that brand. So that's a smart brand. And it was going to take a couple of years, but it's a smart brand. Now, Facebook, on the other hand, did the exact opposite, which is we need to diversify our portfolio. We need to stand for something more. So we need the think part. We need the purpose. We, we need the do, which is a variety of different products and services. And then once all those things are in place, then we need a brand that reflects that. What I think, while they have some of the pieces in place, I don't, I think they jumped right to the do and then to the say without really having a broader purpose. So the brand, they just said, what if we just change the name and that will help us drive a new agenda? Why don't you drive a new agenda and then let the name catch up later? So I think they're, they accelerated the rebrand because of all the shit that Facebook, the Facebook brand was encountering. I haven't heard how they're fixing any of that, those challenges. They jumped right to the new brand. So what do I think of the brand meta and the name and the logo? It's irrelevant. Call it doggy doo. Call it yippa-da-boo-ba hula hoop. I don't care. Right now, whatever you call that brand, it is not going to reflect, reflect the reality that exists within that organization. And that's the problem. This is why I love speaking with you, Ron. The, the answers coming are uh, insightful and entertaining at the at the same time. <laughs> Nobody else is going to say, doggy <laughs> What's next from where you're sitting uh, with Church and State? Um, what's next in creative and advertising? Well, I think it's, it's about... Um, it's not about going, some people are like, we're going back. Like, no, it's not about recovery. This is about reinvention. Um, and I, but what I think we're going to do is that we're going to have a better embrace of the digital reality, data capabilities, automation, and art and creativity and having brands with souls. So we've gone too far in one direction. When I was an old traditional, old traditional ad guy cranking out TV spots for people like Kraft and Hershey's, 
all the digital folks would come to me and go, just you wait. Digital is going to solve the problems. And, you know, it's going to be about the ads that people want to see. And they're going to see them when they need to see them, where they want to see them, all that. The reality is a shit show that what digital has become is, uh, is, you know, is become, it was never supposed to be about scale. It's all about scale. How can we easily scale this message to put it in front of more people, more irrelevant people? We've gone the opposite. Instead of being more targeted, it's less targeted because we're just, we're spraying and praying way more than we ever could with television. So we went too far in that direction. I think the world of programmatic, I think the world of, um, uh, of, uh, of media placement and kind of the soul around that is going to drastically change. And there's a massive opportunity for people like your organization, um, because as we redefine how we do that, I think it's going to get way smarter and way better. And then creativity, great creatively, I think, um, you know, uh, the latest agency to launch is called Broken Heart Love Affair, which is this idea. And they're wonderfully talented people. And so, you know, if you look at both of those brands, church and state is like, hey, it's this changing world of, you know, the unification of church and state of editorial and advertising. Broken Heart Love Affair, which is like, let's get back the soul of brands. Let's get back to really powerful creativity. I think when you combine those two ideas, that's really where things are going. Enough about the data-led, metric-driven messaging, because all that does, all those benchmarks are what people did yesterday. You, that only works. And so if you go, we need to benchmark the data against past performances, you're never going to end up with something new. You're never going to end up with something that's never been done before, because there's no data that exists for it. And I think we're going to see, uh, we're going to revisit how those things, new things, brand new things, brand new placement, brand new messages shot in ways we've never imagined before, which have a greater chance for failure, by the way, because they've never been done before. We're going we're gonna to see bravery and courage of marketers to say, I want that. Ron, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. I always learn something new when, when I speak with you. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Before I let you go, if people want to find out more uh, about you uh, and your organization, where's the best place for them to go? What you should do is you should connect with Kareem on LinkedIn and just ask him to send him messages. <laughs> no, uh, Ron Tight everywhere. Just Google, like connect on LinkedIn to rontight.com, churchstate.com, churchstate.com. There's not many Ron Tights in the world. Um, so if you Google it, you'll come up with some stuff. Thank you so much. Great, thanks for having me. Power your advertising. Working with Active International enables you to fund your advertising using your company's own products, assets, or even services. We have over 30 years experience connecting and bringing value to businesses all over the globe, helping many brands scale up into household names. Want to achieve more from your marketing spend? Contact Active International today.